0: Welcome to the NRL's Tackle Coaching Podcast, where the game's leading minds share their experiences to help you improve in all areas of coaching. Now, here's your host, Scott Sattler. Hey, guys. Well, I'm Scott Sattler, and welcome to Tackle Coaching for NRL Podcast, I'm here with a couple of pretty handy ex-rugby league players, Anthony Minicello from the Roosters, two premierships, and Maddie King also. Welcome, guys. It's that's that's it. What we want to try and focus on in, in this first installment, guys, is the focus on coaching from a player's perspective which is so important in the modern game and I suppose is there any one definition and I'll start with you Minnie. is there is there one definition of what makes a good coach?
1: Uh, I don't think so I think there's uh, many definitions that make a good coach I think as a coach um, and as players and I suppose uh, everyone you've got to be able to adapt and uh, learn um, day after day week after week you know year after year I suppose and that what that's what makes a good coach. So if you if you think that you've made it as a coach or even as a player, um that's where you get yourself into trouble because there's always more learning to do.
0: Now, Maddie King, my first recollection of you was in the mid nineties. I was fortunate enough to play with your brother Andy and he used to wear his number one jersey to the Gold Coast Chargers games and yep. and let's fast track forward so many years and you, you come across some really great coaches being part of the Melbourne Storm system for so long. So the same question to you. What makes a good coach? Is it premierships? Is it finals? Is it the amount of players that you that make representative?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's a tricky question uh, question, Sats. It's um if you are to ask uh, individually what, what makes Craig Bellamy great or what makes Michael Maguire, Trent Robinson, whoever it is, then it's a bit easier to answer. Um it's really hard to throw a blanket over all coaches. Um I think at the core of it, as, as Minnie sort of touched on, um, you need a great understanding of the game. Uh, to be able to pass that knowledge on to players, whether it's in the bush or here in the city or at NRL level, whatever it is, to be able to make each individual better play because of your knowledge of the game is is almost the
0: cornerstone of being a great coach. Now, there's, there's a difference for individuals uh, and the relationship they have with coaches. And, and many, is there a key to how a player and a coach connect individually?
1: Well, that's the, the art of a good coach, I mm. feel, is how you get your message across. Um, you know, you, you've seen great players go into coaching and they struggle with coaching because it's, it's actually a, 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 di- a completely different beast when you, you've played the game at the highest level and you've achieved a lot, and then you actually have to go and teach teach it or if you become a coach you have to actually teach it and get the words out but actually manage different personalities and different guys in the team and how you interact with um the individuals in your team and get them on the same page or actually inspire them to play their best is is that's the art of coaching
0: what made you react best to a coach what made you tick if a coach could connect with you what facets did they have to have what traits
1: um i think that um you know, I'll give an example with uh, Trent Robertson. Uh, he was my last coach and one of my best coaches, I feel. Uh, he's a guy that, yeah, he'll shake your hand every day. It's a respect thing. Uh, and then, you know, when you deliver, say, criticism, it's, it's not, um, I suppose, yelling straight down your throat. It's actually in a calm manner. Um, but obviously coaching your strengths as well as your weaknesses, not just focusing on weaknesses as well, uh, where some coaches may do that just on their weakness. So coaching, a well-rounded, balanced sort of coaching style is um, is what I enjoyed. Yeah. What about you, King? Was there, Are you different to me?
0: Were you the sort of? Were you sort of the sort of player that uh, needed to be challenged? I'll, I'll give you an example. I was fortunate enough to play with a guy by the name of Craig Gow, who yep. we both played against for so many years, and he was a player that just wanted to be challenged every day by the by the coach he didn't care whether the coach called him names whatever name it was challenging him and that's how he used to be able to react we had other players where the coach had to put his arm around them cuddle them tell them how good they are and really build up their spirits what about you what sort of player (laughs) were you that that could make you connect with a coach?
2: Yeah, as, as soon as I believed in a coach, um, whether definitely as a person. Um, I suppose I'm a bit more emotional than Gowie. Um, you know, I needed that cuddle every now and again, but um, that connection for me was a, a belief in that um, person as a human being. So it, I can remember the best country coach I've ever had was Mick Woods at, up there at Marsh Brothers, um, and he was just... A champion bloke so that's where it started for me so uh we got that connection for him as a person then his knowledge of footy was was unreal so I did absolutely everything that he wanted me to because I believed in him that transferred into my NRL career um as soon as I got to Melbourne you know Craig Bellamy had a reputation obviously he's this fiery dude you see him in the box every week he still does it I don't know don't know how his heart hasn't (laughs) collapsed yet but it's uh (laughs) Um, so you get down there, and then um, he's this totally different person away from the away from the TV screens. He's um, um, he gets about you. Don't don't get me wrong. If if you're not living the standards that the Melbourne Storm believe in, um, but as a person, he's a he's a champion bloke, Craig. And when you transfer that again into his footy knowledge, everything Craig did, uh, mm. sorry, everything Craig said, I did, and my footy career turned around mm. for me immediately. So many good ha- things happened, and I believed in him and. I still do. I still chat to him. He's, um,
0: he was a massive part of my footy career. As you mature as a rugby league player, whether it's through the amount of games you play, whether you play representative footy, it doesn't matter whether it's in the NRL, even if you're playing country rugby league, the older you get, the more experience you get. Do your expectations from your coach become greater?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think it does, yeah, because you're actually a little bit older. You've learnt a little bit more. Uh, you know, when you're a young kid, you're a bull at a gate. You don't mm. really think about the coaching style or the way um the structures are but as you get older you've probably seen a bit more you've gone through a few different coaches uh and you've experienced different styles of coaching so i think as you get older yeah you're um yeah you're developing your own sort of skills skill set as well so i think it does yeah
0: do the coach and the player have to like each other
1: no, yeah. oh, it helps.
0: It does help. <laughs> it helps.
2: It helps massively. There's again. There's also that respect thing. Yeah, you, um, you know, some guys come out of school 18, 17, 18 straight into a full-time NRL system. Um, they're not going to be best friends with a coach, obviously, but there has to be some sort of rapport there to get the best out of each individual player. And it's not about you know going to the movies or having lunch with that particular person, but there has to be some rapport and some respect um, there before any sort of connection can be made so like like is a bit of a you know it's a bit of a school schoolboy term for me yep. know, do you like him do you not like him in the schoolyard type of thing where when you get into a professional footy sort of sense and even not not even that like i'd say um whether it be in the bush under 16s whatever it is um if there's that respect between the player and the coach they're going to like each other regardless
0: do you think times have changed now with and a player's perspective in the way they view a coach do you think times have changed whereas once upon a time. We've seen players and coaches in the history of our game where they've had great success and haven't had a great relationship off the field. Do you think it's changed now that if a player and coach don't have that great personal relationship, of course they are spending so much time together now, that they'll just probably move on? They won't hang around to to see if there's going to taste success together?
1: Yeah, it's a fair point. I think, obviously, at the professional level, uh, you, you're with... Uh, the boys and the coaching staff more often than what you were, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, the game's much more professional. You're in, you're in at work maybe eight till four. It's a full day. So you need to have that sort of relationship. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a good point there, Sats. I think you're right. Do senior players become an extension of
0: the, the coaching staff?
1: Well, I think senior players are very important. Um, you know, you... You need to have a coach and the coaching staff to tell you, to to say this is the road we're going down, but then you need to have your senior players to make sure you drive the standards of that. So you need to have um as I mentioned before, everyone on the same page. Um where I've had a couple of coaches that are really good where they don't say, This is what we're doing, mm. uh start driving the culture. It's it's a whole inclusive thing. So yep. you come up with the culture as a team, as a coaching staff, as a, as a staff uh, exercise with the players. And once you get buy-in from the players and they believe in it, like Kingy just said before, and you believe in what the coach say, is saying, that's when, you get, that's when you can start to develop a good culture because uh, you've set the road you want to go down and then you've got your senior players driving that standard and culture and then you try and filter that out to the younger guys to try and get them guys to start driving the standards as well.
0: Well, we know that it makes it easier for a coach when you've got a really good, strong playing group. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about this later on with with Wayne Pearce and Brian Canavan when we talk about leadership. And we we see leadership groups now, and they are, a lot of them are player-driven. Now, leadership groups, Kingy, should they be manufactured or do they develop? Internally, yeah. this is an area
2: I'm super passionate in. Sats. So yep. it's um, um, I sort of came across this back in 2005 at the Melbourne Storm. They they bought in a company who sort of um, facilitated our, our leadership program down there, and it was the first time I come across anything like this. Um, Craig was right behind it, um, and we sort of got hold of a a bunch of young fellas we didn't know. Really, what was in store for them? The likes of Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper. Just Crump. a couple of good players, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But on top of that, Dallas Johnson, Ryan Hoffman. You mm-hmm. know the the list. Brett White. There's a lot of guys driving the culture down there. So, um, you know, Craig Bellamy for all. Like he's one. He's a wonderful coach. Don't get me wrong. He's been blessed with the players he's had as well. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily what they do on the field, but off the field as well. So, for me, senior players and a leadership group are a massive part of the pie to a club's success. And the stronger that is, the longer your success goes for I've seen it um, over in the UK where there where there was nuts or where there were there, sorry where there wasn't such a priority on the senior player group and there wasn't really a senior player group at all to be honest uh, things went pretty pear shaped over there and I've also seen it at other different clubs I've been at where it's been really strong and there's been success and then the senior player group sort of fade away a little bit and um, places can implode so um, your original question of how important are they in regards to the coach uh, for me they're vital
0: now I know we're talking about at the moment and a lot of our listeners will be will be thinking, well, this is at the professional level, the NRL level. Do you do you both agree that a lot of the I suppose the traits and the personalities and the, and the philosophies that are coaching in the NRL they still bleed down through the through your local sure. league competitions, don't yeah. they? Whether it's juniors, seniors, whatever it may be.
1: Definitely, it's it's the little things that develop uh, a winning culture, like just. Tiny little standards that if you do them consistently uh, like you know if you, if your ankles are strapped don't uh, finish training and just stroll on the grass and walk away mm-hmm. make sure you, you clean your rubbish up you, you, if you're in the weights room, uh, put the weights away, leave the gym as as you found it all these little things that that where we had standards uh, on if you do them consistently over time that that's that just develops a culture so if someone new comes into the team. And he's in the weights room and he sees everyone putting their weights away after they've finished. And then he sees everyone putting their rubbish in the bin, or, um, you know, we had another simple one was no mobile phones on the massage table because it's a time for recovery and relaxation. Um, all these little things that, you know, your team sets, if everyone's abiding by them, then that develops a a culture amongst the team and, and that filters out on the field. Yeah, growing up in the bush, too, Sats,
2: it's, um, you know, f- For me, almost the first thing you need to tick off to have a successful team is camaraderie, whether yeah. it be in the NRL, in the bush, under-16s, under-8s, and whatever it is. Um, at an NRL level, it's easy because, as Minza said, you're in here at 8 o'clock, you leave at 5 o'clock, you've got a team dinner once a week, the mm-hmm. boys are off to the movies, they're earning good cash, so for them to be able to have a good time is easy for them. In the bush, the boys are up at 6 o'clock, on the shovels doing Mm. a trade or they might be selling real estate whatever they're doing and they come to training of an afternoon you've got to find ways to build that camaraderie so in the bush it's not a professional sense but it might be it might be a carton of light beer on ice so after training Mm. the boys can have two light beers Mm. and then head home but they've got that half an hour together where they can have a couple of light beers go home to their family but before they get home to their family they feel that bond and that connection with their footy club and their footy team uh, which then transfers, as we all know, transfers onto the footy field. If you're, if you're loving the boys who you're playing with, you're going to work that little bit harder. And how you um, generate that camaraderie, whether it be in the bush, whether it be under sixes. Uh, we actually did a thing at the Roosters at the start of the year about why do we, why did we fall in love with footy? and some of the responses were unreal it was um, a, Lindsay Collins who's a young guy hasn't played first grade he's from Queensland He said the reason he played when he was a young guy because he knew if you got men of the match you got a $10 Macca's voucher <laughs> so that, that's why he started so that got him to train another Mick, Mick Gordon said that the last round um, it was red cordial in the water bottles like like these are the things that, mm. that the boys remember when they play footy so coaches again as I said regardless of where you are and who you are you know finding ways to build that camaraderie is really important
0: now you spoke about a, a Coach of yours in Lismore, in, in Mick Woods, who I've known for many years, and he's had great success uh, in in grassroots rugby league. I'll start with you, Minnie, and and then go to you, King. You, were, as a junior coach, you grew up in Western Sydney. Yep. Is there a quality that that was displayed um, through some of your junior coaches that that you feel as though that you've taken into your into your career?
1: Oh, I think it was um, work hard. No work ethic um my parents always told me if you don't work hard you don't get anywhere in life Mm. and that's um a pretty true statement and i've had that through my coaches out at uh east valley united was my junior club at uh, ashcroft there green valley so yeah i remember um you know i started when i was 10 so a little bit later did a few other sports before that but um the work ethic that the coaches all obviously talked about as well, along with my parents, um, really just stuck in my head. Like, if you don't really work hard for it, hey, you going to ever be the best.
0: Mm. What about you, Kingy? Yeah, well,
1: Woodsy,
2: mate, it's the one thing I've taken from Woodsy. He he taught me as a young bloke that there's no such thing as luck. Yep. Um, That was a weird thing to hear when you're a young fella, because everyone wishes you good luck, or how lucky was that? Like, that's <laughs> what you hear growing up. So he said, no, 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 there's no such thing as luck. You've got to earn it. And as Minza said, the harder you work, the more luck you have, and it's... um. Uh, it's one thing that Mick Woods taught me that I've never forgotten. There's there's no such thing
0: as luck. What about um, unusual traits that you've seen from some coaches? And I suppose why why you think about why you think about that? I'll, I'll I'll tell you an example of mine was <laughs> Tim Sheens. I was I was fortunate enough to have Tim Sheens as a coach in my last year, and and I wish that I had Tim Sheens as a coach in my first year. An amazing man. Yeah, you, know, you get to 32 and you feel as though you've you know a fair bit about the game, but then all of a sudden this man comes into your life that develops and constructs the game in a completely different nature. And I, I found it really rewarding my final year with him. And an unusual trait, which shouldn't be unusual, but it was at 32 years of age that before every training session, he made every player do 100 passes to his left and 100 passes to his right, 50 off the ground to his left, 50 off the ground to his right, every training session, just so it became muscle memory. With both of you guys, was there some unusual traits that coaches have, have come up with over the years? Well, we had Freddie
1: Fitler as a coach for a couple of years. He <laughs> was great. He sort of lost his way at some stage there. But, um, you know, he, had, he definitely had some unusual traits. With that passing thing, I think um, Freddie had a similar one where as soon as you walk onto the training field, before you actually start your warm-up, he had these poles with rings. Yes. And there was one, say, 10 metres away, 15 and 20. And you had to pass, say, 10 uh, through the... Ten, 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 and then right, left, ten, 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 and yet they record your score every session. Write it down and then hand it hand it back in. That was before we um actually started uh, the training training uh, on the training paddock. And there was another one by Fred. This is this is pretty funny. <laughs> he said, "One pre-season boys, I'm gonna make uh, a sacrifice each this year, and it doesn't have to be footy. It can be just whatever." And a couple of young guys, oh, what is he talking about? Like what? What do you mean it doesn't have to be footy? And I was just just go in and ask him. So one of the young blokes jumped in and said, Fred, I don't really know what you mean. If it's not footy, what what give us give me some examples? He goes, All right, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my sacrifice. When I put something in the microwave, I cannot open that door until the last beep happens. That's mine. <laughs> And he come out of there all even rattled, and he went, "Mate, Freddie just told me this." <laughs> Fred, he's, he's left the centre. Fred, but we all love cat. him. He's, yeah, he's a strange yeah. cat, but he's awesome. But you
0: can,
2: uh yeah. That well, I think a lot of clubs have sort of implemented this. I'm not sure how how weird it is anymore, but um, uh, NRL level, a lot of the um, a lot of the training sessions are in the daytime. A lot of the games are at night. Mm. Um, so we've got a. Big esky both at Melbourne and at South. Big esky full of soapy water. So the balls would be dunked in the water first, and you get used to the the slippery ball, which was which was pretty cool. Down in Melbourne, it's obviously really cold conditions. If we had to go up and play in North Queensland, everyone had to wear their track suit that week while you're trained to sort of get used to the humidity <laughs> yeah. or something like yeah. that. So uh, weird little things. That's British Shield did that yeah, dunking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty common now, but I've, you know, a lot of clubs will um, train with music blaring to try and distract the boys or get used to the crowd noise and stuff like that, little things, but there's one hour, and, and I know I got coached by Brian Noble, and I, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm speaking out of school, but <laughs> I, um, uh, I got told that Brian Noble when he coached Wigan, now Brian Noble's coached Great Britain, he's a, yeah. he's a handy coach in the UK, not handy, he's a phenomenal coach in the UK. Coach Wigan, and he used to give his team talks. If he was upset, carrying a sword around, <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd hold a sword and it would just be up on his shoulder, a bit like Braveheart stars William Wallace, just to get his point across <laughs> that, they, uh, that the boys hadn't played so well. As uh, yeah, a couple of the Wigan boys, Wigan boys, told me that. Oh, uh,
0: there was a there's a concept that's uh, that's been made come to light over late. Ben Darwin, former former Wallaby front row, and he's uh, he's got a company that looks at peak performance and how teams can uh, perform at their highest, highest level and he's come up with basically a little concept where he says that skill and team cohesion are the two most important facets to get peak performance and your resources and your training facilities and I suppose this, this can go back to a lot of your grassroots rugby league as well and your, and your regional coaching is that your re- resources and your training facilities don't play a huge part in winning at mm-hmm. peak performance, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think I would. Yeah, um, you know, you see um, well, many, high performance when, when units. When you,
0: when you at the Roosters went through that that real glory period from two thousand through to two thousand four, yeah, you were training out of a gym that used to leak profusely yeah, yeah. when it w- used to rain. It was when I
1: first started, the Roosters were training out of Es Marks, and that's that was it? just yeah, you know, you're doing bench press and you're getting dripped on, um, and then through that period where we made three grand finals in a row we're training Mm. at a a dog park Wentworth Park yeah so it's it's not about the facilities it's about how it's about yeah like you just said the obviously we had talent in our side but the attitude of the players um and just making sure that you get your training done and, and and the the combinations working well uh as well as you can yeah with with the right attitude, sats and Minza, I reckon it can galvanise a
2: group. Yes, if you if yeah. you've got a bunch of blokes who think they're better than those facilities or whatever, then mm. you're in a bit of strife. But if you've got a good bunch of fellas who are willing to work hard, it doesn't matter where you train. And as I said, sometimes the worst, the, the how bad the conditions are, can actually galvanise a group and yeah. make you tighter and just think it. Regardless, we're gonna we're gonna play well.
0: Which relates to your grassroots rugby league. They don't 100%. have the resources. They don't have a lot of the facilities. But if, as a coach, do you agree that if you can galvanise that group and make them a really close unit and have the skills and the and the talent to go with it as well, you'll you'll yeah. win more well, than that, you lose. And
2: again, speaking um, from coming from the bush, there's almost a pro- priority checklist that you need to tick off and facilities are way at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's a gym in the town, you're laughing. If mm. not, then the boys are doing push ups and sit ups out on the field and that's their weights and conditioning really. And um, as as I said, when you're talking about grassroots footy, camaraderie and getting the group together is Priority checklist number one. If you can throw a few skillful players in on top of that, yep. then you're looking at a, success, a successful year.
0: And so, how do you do that? You're a kid that's come from the Bush Casino in northern New South Wales. Yep. Casino Cougars used to play in the middle of a dog track, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, great yeah, hand yeah. track.
2: Yeah, yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, how do you do that when you're a coach that's in a regional area and you don't have facilities and all you've got is the bare minimum and you've got a really good group of guys? How do you make them? A close knit unit. Uh, yeah, and
2: again, it would vary depending on age. So I, I remember getting on my push bike from school, riding across the footbridge, riding across the river. Um, if the if it had rained, you'd have to go the long way around on the bridge <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Get to the get the training, um, and every now and again, the coach would throw up, to put a barbie on. Mm. That would be it. And some of the best memories, and this goes um, within the bush or in the city. The best memories about playing footy was the voucher you got. After the game, you get a pie and a can of drink. Like, that meant the world to you as well. So, if your club can afford it, to give the boys a, a free sausage every now and again or a free pie and a can of Coke or, I don't know, a, a bottle of water, I should say. So, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> you know, that's um, that's the start. And then as you get a little bit older, it's it's family get-togethers, trying to get the families together mm. and, and galvanise the group there. And, um, yeah, you'd, it's... it's you'd, um, footy imitates life so what, what do people love they love getting together yeah. and the more you can create that with a footy team whether it be through a barbecue or a game of cricket or a, a, a swim in the river in the bush then, then make it happen
0: mm. Is there such a thing as overcoaching?
1: Um, yeah I've, yeah there is yeah mm. of course no, you don't want to um, overcomplicate things maybe or keep overloading guys with information um, all the time so there's yeah, what what are you you King? Big time, mm. big time. Yeah, yeah. So, um,
2: it, it's funny as as a coach um, now. I'm I'm sort of helping out at the Roosters a little bit. It's um, you, you've got so much information, and you have to pick out the bits of gold that are going to make your team great. If you gave them everything that you mm. thought was important, the boys would feel like they're back in school. They'd uh, <laughs> they'd, they'd be sitting there for hours if you gave them everything. So, um, the the trick as a coach is to give the boys what they need, and that's that's a that's a tough job because as a coach you're just feeling like you have everything
0: When well, you've got all that information as coaches and, and many you have done, a, been involved in a lot of coaching as well working with outside backs and one of our great fallbacks. um, do you take all that information as a coach and do you just individualise it to the individual players rather than well, or do, do the playmakers, do, are they getting more information than everyone else?
1: Yeah, well, there's there's different groups within the team. So you got your middles, you got your edge players, and then you've got your outside backs. So the boys will have sort of, say, a group video where it's the whole team, but then they'll have edge videos, left and right edge, middles. And then um, as a fullback, um, my last couple of years, I'll do basically all the edges, both mm. edges, um, the game planning stuff because... Uh, in defence, uh, the fullback controls the defensive line. So, by the time I got into team video, I've already done three different videos: one with Robbo, one on one, and one two with the edge edge groups. And then I'll come into the team video, and I already knew what the game plan was. So, in when it comes to the defensive part of the of the review or preview, um, I could speak up and say, "This is what I want from the players." So that that's where uh, Robbo and the staff are. Uh, are really good like that because they put the onus back on the player to actually explain it to the group and that when as we talked about earlier explaining something to a group and knowing it in your head is completely different so if you know it so yeah I know it but when you have to explain it to someone you actually know it even better because you have to teach it or say it to the players of the group so that's what I found was um, really beneficial for my learning and, and skill set as a fullback controlling the defensive line because I would have those videos beforehand come into the team video and I was the one sort of delivering it to the team. Now can you, on that in regards to overcoaching, a lot of people think overcoaching
0: is more drills, coaching going for three hours a session uh, in the hottest part of the day, whatever it may be. Can overcoaching also be just basically talking too much as a coach? Yeah, massively. yeah. yeah.
2: massive. That, that, that's You know, those times when you're saying, you know, um, you're out on the field for three hours, realistically you're out there throwing a footy around and it might might be long, but you're doing something you love where that doesn't always transfer to the boys sitting in front of a video and uh, being spoken to. So I I coached um, the SG ball team at the Rabbitohs last year um, and I had to try and um, work, I had to work really, really hard in regards to, the boys had been at school all day. And then they came in. The last thing they wanted was another teacher up in front of them telling them mm. some more information. So I always capped my meetings at about 25 minutes max. And it was a lot of interaction, so a lot of questions, getting the boys up and um, actually standing beside me saying, what do you see here? And then getting them to transfer that onto the boys because I knew if I just stood up and and um, chin-wagged, then I was going to... A couple to, people not off. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Time. you got to get yeah. them interacting. That's the key. Big time. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. so over coaching, there's a coach uh, in Queensland Rugby League who and I'm not going to name names, would this be classed as over-coaching or taking a little bit serious, that he's actually got a tattoo for his under-12 premiership team?
1: <laughs> True story. Is that over-coaching? Oh, he's passionate. <laughs> yeah. He loves it. It's a good way <laughs> to at it. Yeah,
0: you're an optimist. He's like a lunatic. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> both of you two have represented state, country, and probably want to talk about short-term coaching from a player's perspective, origin, Test matches, whatever it may be you 've only got a group of players for seven to ten days when you 've got short term coaching what's the most important important approach from a coach
1: King, you touched on it earlier. I think the camaraderie part bringing everyone together and have that um, feeling getting the feeling straight away of the jersey you 're wearing because you know talent wise you 've got the best players in in the league mm. coming together, so you don't have to do too much with them through the week you know you might have some uh little game planning structure type stuff but it's actually bringing the group together I feel
2: yeah on, on top of that as I 100% agree with Minzer, it's all about getting the group together um on top of that uh it's about getting your key players so your, your, your spine players you might have a damaging back row or whatever something like that where you teach them uh where to look but not what to see so let's get over here, boys. This is where I want you to look. But then once we get there, it's up to you. You go do whatever you feel and let instinct take over. But you do need to sort of guide them into the opposition weaknesses a little bit. But realistically, it's 70% up, you know, here, boys. Go
0: get them. So from a game plan point of view, it is it
1: is simple. It's basic. Well, you know, like King said, you give them pointers on weaknesses. Say in Origin, like, you know, you have your your structure and how you, how you want to play, but... You know, in Origin, it's it's not about the fancy plays in Origin. Mm. It's about getting up and doing it again and again for 80 minutes and how tough you can play because, you know, there'll be, say, one or two opportunities in a game and you need to take them. And that's why if, you, if you're if you not looking up and you're worrying about the game plan, you miss an opportunity over there because there's a four-on-three or two-on-one or whatever it may be. Um, that's why you need to just be on the whole time, making sure that uh, the key players are obviously running the plan but then playing what they see
0: was there a favorite drill or training component activity that you used to use as a player that was coached or used in a warm-up whatever it may be that you've now taken on to your coaching is there something that's always stuck that you've got a lot of benefit out but it's also fun it's also got the yeah. end result
2: for, for me being a center or an outside back it's um I used to make a little competition whether it was it didn't necessarily have to be my uh, my opposite my opposite center it could have been a forward whoever nathan friend as a hooker we all good mates down in melbourne i always used to get him because he was a cheeky little bugger so we used to go i always always used to do just one-on-one drills with him try and stand him up and i'd let him know when he beat me (laughs) but he'd let me know when he got me and stuff like that um so for me as an outside back i reckon it's the only position uh being a center where you really do get that one-on-one feel i know the the forwards get it but you know there's gang tackles Mm. we're out in the centers it's a lot of the time mm, it's me, me versus it's you there, like yeah. let, let's go like here we yeah. go so um yeah i, I used to love little one on one drills using my feet or fend or whatever um i i used to just do that repeatedly
0: what about you man
1: me it was at fullback it was catching just uh repetition catches after catches um that's that's what made me go into games confident I, like if i didn't do my extra catching Low balls, high balls. After basically every session, um, or if I if I did do that, maybe three to four times a week, then I would always go into a game confident. Yeah, just just on that, I I
2: don't mean to embarrass you here, Minza, but I got the the pleasure of playing with Mini around the two thousand and five yep. era, um, and I've played with Billy Slater, Greg Inglis at fullback, um, Brett Hodgson over in the UK. That period of time around 05, Mini was mm. like at that at that period of time, Mini was the best fullback that I'd ever played with. Um, and to see him train was ridiculous. He'd be the last one off the off the field. He'd be taking high balls, high balls, high balls, and then walk off onto the sideline, and someone would be there with a tennis racket. He'd be taking slips, catches. Like, it was ridiculous. And as an outside back myself, playing on the wing every now and again, I took so much out of that. Mm.
0: Yeah, the extras, it means so much, doesn't it? You know, the, there's a difference between being involved and committed, isn't it? Just being involved is about wanting to play NRL or wanting to play yeah. rugby league, whatever level, but being committed is those... Well, I think if you, you know, if you want to
1: be the absolute best in your position, you can't just um, do what the coaches require you to do. You have to, mm. you have to do your extras. But again, then as you get older, you've actually got to listen to your body and say, no, I'm a bit tired today. I'm going to do 10 catches and I'm off. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, I'm feeling great. I'll do a bit more. You know, that's that the balance comes with it as you get older. But as a youngster, I was just... Add <laughs> <out the> <laughs> some energy. <laughs> <that> energy. <laughs> now, we talk
0: about uh, the relationship between... Player and coach, and and Maddie, you told a really good story at the the NRL National Coaching Conference uh, last year about the relationship that Craig Bellamy has with his players. You know, we see this fire and brimstone from the outside, but internally, uh, a very caring coach, which is a huge facet that is appealing to players, isn't it? That he cares about his players, and even though you're not at the club anymore, and you had some great success there, he he's still touches your family in a, in a real emotional way, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, he does, it's, um Yeah, you're right, mate. It's, it's easy to have an opinion on Craig Bellamy when you see him going on <laughs> like a frog in a sock you know every every um every weekend in the coaches box but uh, the Melbourne Storm as, as a lot of clubs do have a parents weekend uh, where the parents find their own way down to Melbourne and then once they get down there it's dinners with the boys and um, it's a big box at the game and it's a, it's just a way of saying thank you to the parents and they they did it when I was there and they continue to do that um, I left the Storm in 2007 and every year Craig Bellamy invites my mum Back down to the to the storm parents weekend and mum actually stays at his house. It's um, yeah, it's they've obviously obviously had a connection there over that period of time when I was down there. But for Craig to continually do that, it's um means the world to me. And, and again, we're talking about that respect that I spoke about earlier. Um, yeah, he's always got my respect, Craig, and it means the world to mum as well. Mm. She um that that sense of belonging. Uh, for my mum was really important when I was a part of a of a footy club and she's got it now now, now that I'm at the Roosters but uh, for Craig to do that 10 years after I've left the the storm means the world to me and my family
0: it's amazing the effect that coaches can have on players it doesn't yeah. matter what level yeah. you know, I had a high school coach when I was 17 and he still has a major effect on my life just the, the things off the field that he taught me and, and many you'd be the same no, the, the, it's so important again at whatever level that you're coaching at you have a really positive effect on your players.
1: 100%, and that's, um, that's being a, a really good coach. You know, Wayne Bennett, I experienced his coaching in 04-05 in the Kangaroo Tours with Kingy, and you know, you see Wayne Bennett from the outside, and if you don't know him, you see him pretty short and sharp in press conferences, and you think, oh, this guy's a bit of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get into his team or you have been coached by him, you now, he would sit at the back of the bus. He would tell stories, very knowledgeable about, um, you know, he would tell war stories and, and whatnot. And he would have the team just like around him saying, Oh, what, what, what else happened, Wayne? What else? Tell us another story, you know? And he, he, he will suck you into his sort of world and, you know, I wouldn't be talking footy, but he'd tell him life stories. And, uh, that's something that's, uh, uh, very valuable when, uh, you're playing for a coach. So, um, he was, he was very good at it. A very good coach.
0: Last question, guys. Can anyone be a coach? I'll get it. opinion from both of you. But Kingy,
2: um, I think the short answer is yes. Um, you just you need to you need to work at it without a doubt. If 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 you feel like you've got a for, for me, coach, coaching for me is not about being. Um, being the most knowledgeable person on footy there's even some coaches you know who aren't fortunate enough to be in my position who know so much more about footy than I do mm. um, but I think uh, the biggest strength that I have is a great understanding of the influence that I have over the the guys that I'm in charge of um, so having a con like checking in with myself constantly in regards to how they're feeling and and where they're at um, away from the field is is really important um, and if you've got a really good sense of who you are as a person then I think you can transfer that into a coach really
1: easily Minnie? Ah uh, yeah, if you if you're passionate about it, um, you know if you you can't say oh, pull someone off the street and say Do you want to be a coach. And he goes oh yeah, but if he's not passionate, doesn't love what he's doing, mm. then he won't actually adapt and learn. So if if you've got no coaching experience whatsoever, but you actually love the game and you're willing to learn, absolutely.
2: I've I've seen it too. Exactly what you said there. Men's are from passion around not necessarily loving the game, but loving an under eights coaching casino. Yeah not the biggest footy fan but he loves he loves his children he loves his children's friends that's, that's a passion yeah so his ability then to get the team together and have a barbecue every now and again and get them to play good footy is you know that's important for an under 8s coach
0: and there's all the education around becoming a better coach now also as even as an under 7s or an under 8s coach yeah definitely mm. well thanks very much guys for coming in for the first installment of Tackle Coaching and see you next time thanks that's thanks Sets